Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to the show, everyone. We're digging in deep today. First, to check in that everyone's taking good care of themselves and um, looking after one another. We've been all across America, and today we explore the wackiness of Florida. Back here in my home state, I'm broadcasting live from St. Petersburg, Florida, with Craig Pittman, author of five books on the subject, and alert also from St. Petersburg, the beaches here are closed. Um, I wanted to mention that because it's astounding. Um, on Saturday, I uh, couldn't park the car along the beach in Pasigrill, um, which is a few minutes away from home. It was still break, spring break then, and parents had a couple extra weeks with their kids, so the beaches were packed. Um, instead, I headed north uh, and grabbed a salad with a non-hugging friend um, at a burger joint, um, and um, we savored one another's company, in-person company, and then seeking quiet, I went to my local indie bookseller, Tombolo, uh, a bookstore off of uh, funky Central Avenue in St. Petersburg. The store is lined with homemade bookshelves, a round nook for kids to read in, and flowering trumpet vines outside. And there, I saw Craig Pittman's two current books, Oh, Florida, and Cat Tail. They were sitting on a shelf behind the checkout. Uh, both fascinating books, um, and the proprietor, Alsace, told me that they were there because of the groups that were coming in. Um, and that, you know, was no longer. Um, but she did say that her bookstore would deliver books on order. I'd gone in to pick up mine because I'm curious and I'm nosy. And um, right now, Tom Below is open every day. But even if the worst happens and they were to close, um, Alsace and her staff would be busy on the inside filling orders. So... I just want to mention this to everyone. If you um, have a local indie bookseller in your neighborhood, like ours, it's probably true that if people want to drive up, they'll deposit the car, deposit the books in the car, or deliver the books to your home. It's a great service and a sensitive idea, typical of our close community here, where the brewery, Three Daughters, is making hand sanitizer and the coffee shop, Intermezzo is giving away cans of coffee to first responders. It's a very heartening situation here in St. Petersburg. As I chatted with Alsace at Tombolo, um, I longed for the days when I'd be able to see people firsthand again, like in the book club that was to meet there next month. Instead, I took my package of books and drove off, glad that I'd had the contact and savoring seeing two human beings in the same day that were not in my household. To you, I say this, look into whether your local indie bookstore delivers, and if so, use it. It's a great way to support yourself and your local bookseller and businesses in your neighborhood. Today, we'll talk about identity, and it's the identity of a place, Florida. 
with the author of O Florida and Cattail, Craig Pittman. He's a firsthand expert and a Florida native, which is even more unusual, perhaps. Um, Craig, Pittman, Craig Pittman is the author of um, five books, including Paving Paradise in Manatee Insanity. Manatee is a large sea cow. Um, and I want to find out about Manatee Insanity, when that title got dreamt up. It's like a Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor. There's definitely a story behind it, a room where you'd very much like to be sitting. Um, all of Craig Pittman's books are award-winning, entertaining, and worthwhile reading. Uh, up till 15 minutes ago, or a day or so ago, Craig was uh, on staff as a writer for the Tampa Bay Times on environmentalism. Craig, um, sadly, was uh, among the many talented staff writers to be let go over cuts at the newspaper recently. Many people here in St. Petersburg are reeling to think they'll lose touch with um, the local environmental issues that Craig brought to light. I hope he'll tell us later how he's coping in the digital age and what's next for you, Craig. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, delighted that you're here. And I'm going <laughs> to insert here a very, um, so we can make it official, um, your bio okay. here. Um, it's like biosphere. I've decided that once you read Craig Pittman, you look at words differently. And I feel that I've been <laughs> warped, Craig, in the best possible way by, by your writing. Um, it's a kind of a wackiness that's, I, I, it's like, okay, biosphere, this is good. It's, you know, it's environmental. <laughs> it's it's Craig. It's, it's all this good stuff. Craig's bio will make you feel like a slacker and maybe you should but you know here it goes um it's it's craig we'll start at the beginning of the early days anyway um as a native floridian craig Pittman grew up, graduated from Troy State University, which is in Alabama, but there his muckraking work earned him the label, the most destructive force on campus. That's something to be envied. He has since covered <laughs> Quite a few natural disasters, including hurricanes, wildfires, and the Florida legislature. I do yeah. like <laughs> I do like the sequencing. And after 1998, environmental issues for the Tampa Bay Times. He has won the Waldo Prophet Award for Distinguished Environmental Journalism in Florida four times, and twice won the Top Investigative Reporting Award from the Society of Environmental Journalists. The author of five books on Florida, he is the co-author with Matthew Waite of Paving Paradise, Florida's Vanishing Wetlands, and The Failure of No Net Loss, which came out in 2019. It won the Stetson Kennedy Award. Oh, no, 2009. 2009. Oh, 2009. 2009. Sorry. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> these, these zeros and ones. Right. It's plain as day yeah. right in front of me. 2009. It won the Stetson Kennedy Award from the Florida Historical Society, his second book, Manatee Insanity, Inside the War Over Florida's Most Famous Endangered Species, came out in 2010 and was named by the Florida Humanities Council as one of the 21 essential book for Floridians. I'm here to tell you that O oh, Florida and cattail, uh, sorry, yeah, cattail, are, uh, this, I get confused with one of my favorite plant species. Um, it's, it, they're, they are both essential reading. I feel now that I have read O oh, Florida, I wonder, I, I, I was suffering under delusion. Um, first of all, I did think that St. Petersburg, for example, 
had the most consecutive days of sunshine. I know it has a lot, but you've you've disabused us of a lot of notions um, that is really makes this book, Oh Florida, a towering success, not to be confused with the phallic tower in Tallahassee, the <laughs> Edward Durrell Stone Design Capitol building. Um, but from <laughs> oh, oh Florida, I, I can see, I can see the fuzziness. I can see the correlation between the fantasy of Walt Disney Disney World, Epcot, and Scientology in its headquarters in Clearwater. Thank you, Craig Pittman. You've helped connect the dots on how to explain a lot. Um, the covert, <laughs> well, real, yeah, the covert real estate acquisitions, the autonomous self-rule of these places, Disneyland and Scientology, the self-sufficiency of their utilities and government. It's scary, and some of this um, has come to light through your writing, and I think that's a huge role to play in our, in our public consciousness. I want to talk to you today, Craig, about the relative isolationism of Florida and how that impacts the anything-goes attitude. You point out that even geographically, side to side, it's very narrow. Um, it maybe looks like the handle of a gun. Oh, this is also quite indicative of the lax, I would say, gun laws here, previously, especially to several of the uh, Marjorie Stoneman, uh, the the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman um, School, and also, of course, at um, Pulse. But um, more to the point, we now have a a situation where geographically, we're living in a cul-de-sac. No one goes through Florida by train or car to get to somewhere else. And I wonder if that means a lack of context with the other states in the union um, and a kind of, uh, I mean, unless you look at the Southern influences in Miami from Cuba, for example, which is substantial and enriched, I think, culturally. Um, but you talk about it being a drainage pipe, more a, a place where there's little circulation and um, a retired population that golfed and swam and played but didn't necessarily travel by car from Florida. And I wonder if you can talk to us about the isolation geographically and how it plays into our our views here, our outlook. Well, um, I guess my my main idea with O'Florida was to try to um, counteract a lot of the stereotypes that people have about Florida. You know, that people think of Florida, they think of, Generally, they think of two things. They think of the theme parks, number one. Number two, they think about the all the Florida man stories that we all laugh about. You know, Florida man uh, calls 911 because strip club won't let him enter with his cat. You know, things like that. Um, and um, uh, so I wanted to tell people, you know, yes, uh, Florida is sort of the punchline state, but also there's lots of important things that have happened here. People who have lived here who influence the rest of the country. Um, and, and, um, the, the thing about Florida is, um, we actually sort of started out as a, as a sort of an isolationist place. I mean, we, 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 our economy depends on new people coming in, but at the same time, we sort of reject any attempt to, to try and change our ways to the first flag that flew over the state capital when we became a state in 1845, the flag actually said, let us alone on it, yeah. which <laughs> you, could, you could take as either a wish or a warning. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a declaration. Um, it's a statement for sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and now, it, it, 
before we were even a state, we were known as a rogue's paradise. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. a visitor who came here in the 1830s uh, wrote that half of the population seemed to be scalawags and robbers, and the other half were their penniless victims. So, mm-hmm. you know, not much has changed, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and, and we were, we were uh, a place that was very hostile to settlers just physically um, for the, until about the middle of the 20th century. I mean, in 1940, we were the least populated southern state because air conditioning and bug spray were not a common thing at that point. But right. once and those now? two came in, yeah, now we're the third most populous state. We actually surpassed New York in 2014. We've got 21 million people living here and 100 million right. tourists who come every year. Right. And and we're not evenly spread over the whole peninsula. We're kind of crammed into that 30-mile-wide swath along the coast and along Interstate 4 where the theme parks are. Right. So you, you And people are all from, from different places, different cultures, and so you, you bring that many people together in that small a space, and they're bound to start you know, ramming into each other's cars and chasing each other around with machetes and arguing yeah. over whose dog pooped on whose lawn. Um, all that, yeah, all that normal stuff. Um, but, you know, yeah, Craig, exactly. I... I, I I like this. I like this this mental picture that you create. Also, you know, a hundred thousand um, tourists. They're kind of going in and Million. out, right? Yeah. There's a kind mm-hmm. of like breathing mechanism. So when you talk about mm-hmm. the influence of Florida, they're also taking back impressions, ways of being yeah. f- from their you know vacation. Even though what happens in Florida stays in Florida. Um, and that's another mentality, you know, that needs to be maybe in check. But, you know, you're, you're talking about, and, and this I thought was a brilliant point in the book, is, you know, deny the influence of Florida at your own peril, because it is a heavily influential state. And, you know, in what ways? Describe some of the ways. I think we're all too familiar with oh, gosh. Well, I mean, uh, you could talk about you could talk about the people. I mean, um, uh, Jeff Bezos, now the richest man in the world, started his first business here in Florida. And if it had failed, would we have ever heard from him again? You know, yeah. would we now be you know dodging dodging books being dropped on our heads from drones? Um, uh, Ray Charles learned to play the piano in St. Augustine. Uh, yeah, you know, I think about you know that. he had, he had George on his mind, but it was Florida that taught him to taught him to think about it. Um, right. We've uh, the first Native American casinos were here, and there was a court decision that opened the door for all the other tribes across the country to open up their uh, uh, gambling casinos. Um, public defenders got started right. in Florida thanks to a, a court case uh, that came from here. Um, I mean, just there's new. One of my favorite examples is um, uh, there were because this is so Florida. There were two. Uh, police officers in Miami Beach who would who walked a beat in the business district every day, and then at night they'd go back and rob those same businesses. Uh, and one of them, one of them, would stand guard outside with a walkie-talkie, and the other one would be inside rifling through the cash register. And you know, if somebody was coming, the guy outside would would radio, "Hey, you know, here comes somebody. You know, turn off the lights or whatever." Well, one night there was a uh, there was a ham radio enthusiast who lived in the neighborhood, and he couldn't sleep. And so he got up out of bed and turned on his radio and accidentally picked up their walkie-talkie transmissions yeah. and realized he was hearing a robbery in progress. So he tape recorded it and then passed the tape along to the cops. Of course, the cop list, cops listen to it and go, hey, we know these guys. It's, you know, Bert and Ernie <laughs> whatever. Sounds familiar, so yeah. Yeah, and so they're arrested. 
They go to trial. They're convicted pretty quickly because the evidence is, is overwhelmingly against them. But their attorney appealed that conviction all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court because there had been a TV camera in the courtroom for that trial. Florida, uh-huh. at the time, was doing a one-year trial of allowing cameras into courtrooms. Before and the, the Sunshine Law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and the Supreme Court ruled you could have cameras in uh, in state courts that it would not alter, you know, it had no impact on the jury's ability to function properly. And so that's why you're able to watch trial coverage on TV. That's why you could watch the OJ trial gavel to gavel, all because of two crooked Florida cops and a ham radio operator with insomnia. <laughs> I feel as though that's an important cultural contribution. And um, I'm, yes. not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not unproud of that. I think that's, you know, and, and this is kind of, I think the service that you provided um, by taking the lid off this box of secrets in Florida. Uh, I, I, there are many. We are going to pause shortly for our break, but um, I did want to talk about how, how there is this knack of um, one upsmanship in weirder than your story of Florida is this story. <laughs> Wait till you hear this one. I think we could yeah. go on and on about that. Um, but I, I do want to um, examine with you, you, you touched on a couple of sensitive subjects to me. One was the, Indi- the Indian reservations and gambling and the Seminole Indians and how they then also took ownership of the Hard Rock Cafes. Um, as mm-hmm. a result of of many of the evolutions um, that occurred here in Florida, and I think that you dealt with that really in an important way in the book. Um, I realize that the book came out in 2016, but I would urge you to, uh, in our audience, to pick up a copy. Um, if you're here, it's mandatory. If you're outside the state <laughs> and ever visited and want to understand it better, really pick up a copy and we'll translate a lot of things for you. We're going to um, take a break in a minute, uh, Craig, but we're before we do, you mentioned also St. Augustine, Ray Charles, of course. That was the place where you found Martin Luther King's steps. That was all that was left yes. of the, of yes, the building. Yes, Florida story. It really is, and uh, yeah. uh, he led he led protests there that have, that led to the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I mean, that's a huge influence on the rest of the country from something that happened in Florida. Yes, and, it's um, huge and positive. That's why yes, I like yes. I like the counterbalance. You know, we're we're seeing here yes. that there are actually liberalizations um, that have occurred, progressiveness that's occurred from Florida, and there's lots more to that. Um, we yes. um, are we are going to pause for a break. I'm very I was very touched that you went to the steps, um, and I, I think that there's a lot. <laughs> well, in our, well, there's a there. I was going to say that's a very Florida outcome for that story. Um, yes, the, ste- where, the where steps. Where he was arrested on the steps of a, of a motel and and a restaurant trying to go in, and twenty five years later, the Hilton Company comes in and says, "We're going to tear this down and build a new Hilton." And the historic preservation people said, "You can't do that. That's where Martin Luther King was arrested." And so they lawsuits are filed, mediation occurs, and they come up with a very Florida solution, which is they tear down the hotel and the restaurant but they kept the steps. <laughs> so yes. you can go stand on the steps where Martin Luther King was arrested, but like him, you can't go into the restaurant. <laughs> okay, but this is the teardown mentality, and we're going to hear yep. from Craig Pittman when we come back from the break on what's next. Don't go away. You're on Dropping In.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Has your manuscript languished because you can't find the direction it wants to take? Or have you lost the motivation to finish and polish it for publication because it can be such a big, formidable task? Let Diane Dewey help you resolve your writing issues. Diane's manuscript coaching offers help with sticking points like the arc of your story and how to flesh it out, finding the inner story and what you want to say, developing your message, the revelations that become your reader's takeaways, helping to rally the motivation to finish your project, and what to do next. We can analyze, edit, and advise you on publishing. Who are the next collaborators on your writing path? If you seek resolution to these and other questions, please contact Diane Dewey, author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Find her at truenordmedia.com. That's T-R-U-N-O-R-D media.com. Or on her author's page, dianedewey.com. Diane can also be found through social media. Connect with her through the links on the show page. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D. Dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're dropping in with Craig Pittman, author of Oh Florida, Cattail, and several other wonderful books. And um, if you've not read Craig, I'd suggest picking up a copy. If nothing else, you're in for a hoot because Oh Florida is a funny book and it's a tender book and it's a revealing book. Um, we were talking before the break about the ever-changing nature of Florida, that teardowns make way for the new. Um, Craig was alluding to uh, St. Augustine, where um, the Hilton Hotel chain uh, took command of the um, a place where Martin Luther King protested and, and got uh, civil rights movement going. And all that remains is the stair steps. Okay. Um, I, I, I think, I think Craig, that, you know, you were, you've talked in your book about how this, this ever changing nature, this inability to solidify on any one thing um, creates a kind of a, a collective dyslexia that there's no real memory um, because memories are erased, you know, like some places have a memory of, you know, the depression and um, other traumatic events. But here the boom and bust cycles happen with such frequency and we may now very well be in one. Um, Uh You know, there's, there's not a sense of a collective memory here. I wondered also if this wasn't a kind of um, stress diathesis model for ADHD, that we really just can't focus on anything any longer. Um, we, we can't be content with what we have. And obviously, a lot of that has to do with gentrification, right? We've got strip malls that are turning into upper scale strip malls. And um, those strip malls used to have names and people called them affectionately by their names. And I never knew where I was supposed to meet somebody when they took gave me the name of the strip mall. But anyway, it's ever changing. Um, How how did you even um, decide to tackle the subject? I mean, the book is a sprawling book. 
um, you go everywhere. How, how did you come about with the, the idea of it in the first place? Well, um, um, it actually came from Twitter, believe it or not. Um, I believe it. The, uh, uh, I have a Twitter account Craig, at Craig Times, and um, I, in addition to posting a lot of environmental stories on there, I'll also post stories about some of the wacky stuff going on in Florida, you know, like man and road rage incident runs over self, you know, headlines <laughs> like that. And, <laughs> um, uh, and one of my followers on there was a woman named Laura Helmuth, who at the time was working for Slate. And she contacted me and said, hey, the George Zimmerman trial is coming up for the killing of Trayvon Martin. We'd oh, love yeah. it if you could do a month of blogs, blog items about Florida to tell people, you know, there's more to the state than just this standard ground case. And I got permission from my editors at the Times, and so I did a, a month about uh, blogging about Florida and different aspects about Florida. And, of course, had a ton of stuff that I couldn't get to because a month is not nearly enough. Right. Uh, and not long after that, uh, uh, an agent in New York contacted me and said, uh, hey, uh, we think 2016 would be a good year to put out a book about Florida because of the election. And because Florida's, you know, always <laughs> mixed up in stuff going on in election time. So, um, and we saw your blog and we think that'd be a good basis for a book. So they gave me the template to use to, to write a uh, book proposal, centered around uh, 15 publishers said, no, we don't think people want to read a book about Florida. Uh, and then the 16th one said, yes, St. Martin's. And yes. it made the New York Times bestseller list. So, yes. Um, exactly. <laughs> I was pretty happy another about triumph. That. Yes, another yes. triumph yes. for Florida. And and uh, I, to, I mean, I you know, I'd been saving I, since I grew up in Florida. I've been saving a lot of this stuff in my head or in previous writings for years. I mean, I grew up in a household where my parents would read funny stories out of the paper to each other. Hey, look at this! You know, our, mm-hmm. our uh, ex gospel singer, uh, uh, state legislator who's running for sheriff, got arrested because he was financing his campaign by selling cocaine. You know, oh, stories yeah. like that. There was that um, one, and and so uh, uh, so I had a lot of material, but I also sat down with a couple of historians I know and said, you know, what what topic should I be sure to mention? And they gave me some some great suggestions. Like uh, that's why there's a a whole chapter on gambling and how important it was for the development of Florida um, because in the you know from like the 20s to the 40s and 50s gamblers basically ran a couple of Florida's biggest cities and yes, they rigged every Tampa. election to make sure that their people got elected and they controlled everything that went on. And, you know, and, and that sort of led up to, uh, uh, you know, led up to the big Kefauver committee coming down here and discovering just how incredibly corrupt a lot of our cities were and exposing right. that. And it actually, and then right. Disney came, Disney came riding to the rescue and the, uh, and the uh, space program and making a, remaking our reputation. And, sort of and, a, and know, the, the place of the future right, instead of and the, and one that's mired in, in gambling. Exactly, and the fantabulousness of it, right? That's always outsized. Yeah. Um, I think, I think too, that, you know, gambling, it somehow seems tame by comparison to some of the things that, I mean, running numbers, but the corruption is a theme that goes throughout, and it's even a little twisted, if I may say so. I, I, I love the origins of this book, Oh, Florida, but, you know, Stand Your Ground, obviously, in the Trayvon Martin case, this was an this was a landmark case. This was a tremendously yeah. important George Zimmerman, yeah. you know, a despicable human being. I'm sorry, um, that is 
something that really made everyone's blood run cold uh, in the in the country that I know of. And and honestly, it's not surprising that somebody would get in touch with you and say, can we compensate for this somehow? You know, it, it's it's a kind of I, I understand I understand that mentality, um, but it, I'm also wondering, of course, since you wrote it during an election year, whether we've got a book coming out for 2020. What do you say to that, Greg Pittman? <laughs> well, I mean, I did. I my 2020 book is Cattail. Um, oh yeah, the wild, it's weird awesome. Battle Save the Florida Panther came out in January, and um, it looks at how. That's right. uh, Panthers became the Florida state animal and then very, very nearly went extinct and right. uh, got saved thanks to a, a desperate last-minute scientific experiment that nobody had ever tried before. Right. Um, you know, and, I found, and, and there's I, lots I, of weirdness in it, too, of course. <laughs> yes. It's, it's written in a different style. It's more of a storytelling, and it's a beautiful It's just a beautiful book. I, um, it, has a, it has a cast of characters. Um, no, I really thank you as the author for bringing another who knew story to light. But, of course, it is very Floridian for the state animal to almost go extinct. Um, mm-hmm. There was a cast of characters, straight out of the Florida playbook um, and, and an extremely, um, a, a really a serious book. I, I, I didn't realize it was 2020 by just a little bit, but I, cause I, I, it, I saw it at Tom below on the shelf and um, I've heard you speak on it. It's, it's an incredible story. Do you want to you. delve into um, for a moment, the, for example, the inconvenient um, discovery um, that was made um, in Cattail about the Florida panther, which is, um, by the way, synonymous with puma, right? You you, you clear up a lot right. of they're, they're, yeah yes they're they're part of the they're part of the, the species known as puma, which we you know in Florida we call them panthers. In other parts of the world they're known as mountain lions or cougars, um, even catamounts at one point. Um, right, and they're they're. Uh, are you talking about the the discovery? You mean the um, well, what, uh, the genetic were, thing? Yeah, or? well, I, yes, and the and what you were just talking about is this fluky scientific. Um, there was this, this Melody Rolkel. Rolke, oh, Melody Rolke. Yes. Yeah, fantastic yes. photograph of her um, giving an intravenous uh, unit to a, a, a um, anesthetized panther. Um, she. She made a, a disturbing discovery. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, sure, sure. Um, um, the The book starts off with a, a chase, with a chase scene, with uh, some people who working for the state uh, tracking a panther that had a radio collar on it, and they were trying to catch it because the batteries in the collar had gone dead. Mm-hmm. And so um, they made a mistake, and the panther died. And uh, it, one of the biologists, uh, two of them, actually tried to give it mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to, to bring it back, uh, which, frankly, is a level of commitment to the job you seldom see in America these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, as a result of the death of that panther, which, by the way, is now stuffed and mounted okay. in front of the state archives in Tallahassee. And you uh, saw it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite bizarre that it's there. Um, uh, the, the people in charge of the, of the panther research said, okay, maybe we need to do something other than just sending biologists out there. Maybe we should also send a veterinarian to, to watch out for the health of the cat. So they Good hired thinking. Melody Rolke to do that. And uh, the minute Melody got out there and started seeing the panthers, she realized that they were 
suffering from genetic defects brought on by inbreeding. The population had dwindled down so far that there the only chance for breeding involved breeding between members of the same family, you know, father to daughter, uh, brother to sister, that kind of thing. And as a result, they were losing genetic diversity, and she could see it. It was, it was plain as could be because the panthers they were catching all had a kink in their tail, a 90-degree right. bend like you'd see in a math textbook. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the biologists all thought that was just a, a regular sign that, of what made Florida panthers different from other pumas. And she's like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not a good thing. That's a defect. And the more she looked, she found even bigger problems, including uh, there were holes in their hearts, uh, known as atrial septal defects. One right. panther kitten, she said it sounded like he had a washing machine in his chest. Oh. Uh, and some of the males, their uh, testicles did not descend, which meant they wouldn't be able to breed at all. And right. so yeah, up until a... that point, the biologists had all been saying, well, the big problem for panthers is the loss of habitat to development. Development's wiping out places where they can live. And she said, that's a long-term problem. The short-term problem is they're going to go extinct because they can't breed anymore. Right. And that I mean... suddenly galvanized everybody to say, we need to do something about this. And I, I think you make the point, too, that, you know, here she was a, a woman veterinarian out in the wilderness, and then she had to convince her yes. male biologist counterparts that, they you know, this was happening and we needed to do something about it. I wonder if it's a kind of a genetic, I mean, a, a sort of evolutionary uh, change. It's very Darwinian for the testicles not to descend, right? Because what would yeah. be the point? Yeah. There's there's not well, a and, and procreation. It was, and, and now she's doing this work in the in the 80s. In early 90s, and the projections were that if they didn't do anything, panthers would go extinct by 2016. So oh. they obviously needed to act very, very quickly. And she, yeah. like you said, she had a really hard time convincing her male colleagues and superiors that this was the problem. Uh, in fact, one of them, even after the state accepted it, the guy who had been in charge of the capture team kept saying, no, 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 this isn't the problem. The big problem is the habitat. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a sort of a theme in the book about women in STEM and, and uh, women in the sciences and how, because she, she's the clearest example, but there are two other women who are very prominent in the book who also run into similar problems, trying to get people to listen to them and listen to the warnings that they're issuing. And um, they, yeah. they get very frustrated by it, as you, as you might imagine. I, I think it's not unique to Florida, although there is a high degree of misogyny that is kind of perpetuated yeah. <laughs> by a lot of um, garishness that goes on in terms of the plastic surgery industry and, and all of it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the stereotypes are falling by the wayside. And, um, you know, I know uh, I, I met Sylvia Earle, for example. She was a Floridian. And then this yeah. this very important and, and um you know, this very important scientist in the field, um, the you know, Melody Rilke, who just really had an uphill battle. You would hope that in the scientific domain that the egalitarian views of the sexes, it somehow would dissipate. But you're saying no, and, and this is another no. eye-opener. This is, well, you know, I mean, it's human nature. It's human nature to be very cliquish and to pay more attention to people who are like us as opposed to people who are not like us. But if you do that, then you run the risk of not hearing things you need to hear. And she was telling these guys, hey, this is really important. If we don't do something about this now, it's going to be too late to worry about anything else, including habitat loss. 
Well, that so. just opens up a whole vat of, um, you know, exploration when you talk about otherness, because, of course, if there were more women in the field, then women wouldn't be considered other. Right. <laughs> and, and also, right. there, there, there are lots of other domains, um, including homophobia, which you touch on in the book, Oh, Florida, where, you know, there's yeah. almost like an East-West dichotomy. We're going to jump back and forth between the books because they're both <laughs> cautionary tales. Um, we, have, sure. uh, we have another... Well, Anita, Anita Bryant was a Florida woman, what can I say? <laughs> and, and she became, I think, um, in, the, in, in such a galvanizing, in kind of the best possible way of lightning rod for everything that was wrong in terms of mm-hmm. the attitudes. Um, and, of course... The gay community um, embraced yeah. uh, drinks made with cranberry juice, and you know uh, <laughs> the whole <laughs> the whole grassroots movement really took flight. I remember it so much, and you have broadened the perspective on a lot of things that we remember only vaguely as children. With you know, um, the, you know Anita Bryant being on television. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 we're going to take uh, another quick break, but I wondered if when you come back, you're, you're willing to delve into some of the more um, sensitive subjects that we've just touched on, homophobia and misogyny, but also just give us right before the break a hopeful sign. What are the numbers now on the Florida Panther, for example? Um, well, uh, in, the, in the mid-90s, when they were... Uh, Things look very, very dire. Uh, there were about 20 to 30 maximum that were left. <laughs> and now we're up to about 200. I, 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 I wanted to write this book for 20 years, and, but I didn't have a good ending. I wanted to have a good, hopeful ending. And about three years ago, I got a good, hopeful ending and sat down to, to start writing the book. And we think that these 200 are going to thrive and be able to, well, I know that they were introduced to the Texas Cougar, right? There was an, uh, there was a, a transplant. You forgot to say spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. Oh, sorry, folks. Read the book. No, any, anybody. First of all, these cats are beautiful and there are ample yeah. uh, fabulous photographs, including the cover of the book. Um, but you know, you 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 perpetuate it. You talk about the perpetuation of a species and the hopefulness of that. We're living in a time where we really do need these signs of hopefulness and being able to conquer problems through science. Yes. Um, I very much appreciate that you did that, and um, we'll talk about other areas where there may be signs of hope um, in. <laughs> in the state of Florida even, and, um, you know, maybe we'll pave the way. Maybe we'll pave the way, Craig. Who knows? Um, for other breakthroughs. Well, if it involves paving, we'll do it in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the size of the highways? <laughs> it doesn't eliminate crashes. That's the amazing thing. We'll find one another and crash no matter what. Okay, That's we're right. going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue with Craig Bittman. Okay. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. 
Has your manuscript languished because you can't find the direction it wants to take? Or have you lost the motivation to finish and polish it for publication because it can be such a big, formidable task? Let Diane Dewey help you resolve your writing issues. Diane's manuscript coaching offers help with sticking points like the arc of your story and how to flesh it out, finding the inner story and what you want to say, developing your message, the revelations that become your reader's takeaways, helping to rally the motivation to finish your project, and what to do next. We can analyze, edit, and advise you on publishing. Who are the next collaborators on your writing path? If you seek resolution to these and other questions, please contact Diane Dewey, author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Find her at truenordmedia.com. That's T-R-U-N-O-R-D media.com. Or on her author's page, dianedewey.com. Diane can also be found through social media. Connect with her through the links on the show page. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. And we're back with Craig Pittman, author of Cattail, The Wild, Weird Battle to Save the Florida Panther. He's a New York Times bestselling author. Um, O Florida made the New York Times bestseller list after having been turned down by, as we just learned, 15 publishers. Um, I do think that Cattail is a book that's important to read for a sense of optimism that doesn't come from just la-la land, but comes from actual scientific um, cooperation and actually being um, obedient to science and actually accepting scientific information, which is what environmentalism is all about. That's the subject that you wrote about for a couple of decades now, Craig, for the Tampa Bay Times. Um, There are other, you know, points that you make in your um, book, uh, your earlier book, Oh, Florida. Much of the trans, not much of the population in Florida is transient. I look at it in my own neighborhood. Up until a short while ago, there were a lot of part-time people here, people who Uh maybe didn't care about support the school systems through taxes, um, who maybe didn't um, have a vested interest in what happened in infrastructure-wise or even preservation-wise or certainly conservation-wise long-term issues. Um, there are other issues that are, you know, completely underfunded. Um, one is mental health care. And yeah. um, mm-hmm. now we are, you know, have crossed the threshold of being ranked 50th in the nation doesn't get any worse than that, folks. Um, and and I think that, you know, this is this is some kind of a byproduct of people not having rootedness here. Um, and uh-huh. we need that sense of commitment to solve some of the problems that are not just indigenous to Florida, but are everywhere, as you well know, through, through your work in um, reporting on climate change. Um, do you have any other hopeful indicators that any of these other subjects are, you know, taking a turn for the better or, you know, that we are coming about in any of these other areas? Um, well, uh, it, it's taken a couple of disasters to, to get to this point. But I think 
the people who have been in Florida longer than a year or two uh, now understand that if you mess up the environment in Florida, you mess up the economy, that the two are inextricably linked. Um, we saw the, the first signs of how important that linkage is when we had the BP oil spill in 2010. And even though it happened in Louisiana, or rather off Louisiana, the oil wound up coating beaches in eight of our Florida panhandle counties and ruining their tourist seasons. And the ramifications were actually felt all through Florida as a lot of tourists canceled their reservations, thinking the oil was all over the place. Um, and then when we had this uh, 16-month-long red tide algae bloom recently that had a similar impact on beaches all over the state and on tourism-related economies all over the state, people really got fired up about that. And about there was a, a blue-green algae bloom over on the, the, uh, the Atlantic coast that had a similar political impact where people were showing up when when they saw politicians in the neighborhood or in the area and saying what are you going to do about this what Mm -hmm. you know how are you going to fix this because you've shut down our businesses and you know your your um lackadaisical approach to environmental regulations has fueled these algae blooms by uh by not stopping you know septic tank leaks and not stopping pollution flowing off of over over fertilized areas and it got to the point where um, uh, Governor Rick Scott was campaigning for Senate, and at one point he made a, a campaign stop, and people actually heckled him out of the room by yelling Red Tide Rick at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, actually, he actually fled the location. Um, so it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's, I'm sad that it took disasters to show people this, but I'm glad that, they're, that they've figured that out and that they've demanded change. Uh, I think that's a big reason why uh, Ron DeSantis won the governorship is because he promised to do something about this. He he appointed a chief science officer, something Florida's never had before. He mm-hmm. uh, set up these uh, algae bloom task forces to look at the situation and recommend changes that can be made to try and, uh, if not prevent, then at least lessen the impact of future algae blooms. The question is what What's he going to do once those recommendations get put into effect? And is he going to follow up and make sure they're enforced? We don't know the answer to that yet. But I do think that, that, that the political impact of those disasters are things that are still uh, sending reverberations around. And Absolutely. Uh, the other the, the one thing I'm curious about is, you know, we're undergoing a pretty severe economic impact from the coronavirus um, pandemic right now where everything's shut down. They're shutting down beaches all over the state. Etc. And will there be some move now to waive environmental regulations to try and help businesses recover from that? Um, I hope not. That well, we'll see. The, well, the legislature know, certainly does. That is that's one of the first things they always think of when they <laughs> when they think of businesses. How can we help you by making it easier for you to pollute? <laughs> so well, you we'll know, see what happens with that. That that is a broader theme in the current administration in Washington. You know, we'll we'll expand the economy by helping you pollute. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, obviously we want to urgently help businesses, but at the other end, we want to maintain some kind of long-term perspective on impact as well. I know that Governor Ron DeSantis also was exceptional in the sense that he did tell the sitting president, no, we don't want continued 
offshore oil drilling. Um, look at mm-hmm. the disaster we had with BP, and that basin of oil yeah. is still sloshing around on the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, there has been an aisle crossing, there has been a stepping out of role that, you know, is tremendously important to try to solve to try to solve these problems, um, who knows? I mean, the, the situation now is unprecedented. Um, mm-hmm. I do know that we're going to have to work together. Um, that's, yeah. that's, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, we returned from, and I think what you're talking about in terms of the economic impact of environmental disasters, that interconnectivity is the only way that it hits home, right? It's the only way that people understand that we don't go merrily living on. We won't if we sacrifice national parks. We won't if we do more pipeline, you know, laying more pipeline. There's Mm. the implication to our everyday life is huge and to economic, you know, our economic well-being as well. Sure. Um, I I really, I I, um, commend you for bringing these um, subjects to bear. The the red tide situation was also um, just a disaster for local residents because we were living with a fish kill in our canals and waterways. The fishermen that you saw lined up on every bridge, you know, getting fresh fish that they sold to restaurants were not there anymore. Um, You know, the... By the ton, um, fish were being, dead fish were being removed, and it was um, a colossal disaster. Um, and I, I, you know, we came from, we came from Switzerland, um, where there was also a fish kill on the Rhine River from rising temperatures and climate change. It's hard mm-hmm. to imagine that we're going to be able to ignore these factors much longer and do you think that there's going to are we going to feel this maybe at the polls is climate change going to be a a pivotal point do you think in the upcoming election um i think it can be uh i think it ought to be obviously but um uh i mean you go like i did you go visit a neighborhood where they had water in their streets for 90 days straight um down in the keys Uh, you know it's like (laughs) those folks they're keenly interested in solving the problem of climate change, um, but the uh, whether that will spread out to the to the general populace, I don't know. Because I think what you're going to see now is a shift towards economic concerns taking precedence, um, mm-hmm. given how many people are are you know being thrown out of work or being idled, uh, or businesses being shut down as a result of uh, the pandemic. Uh, you know, we're sort of forcing people to choose between their livelihood and their lives. And um, um, so it's, I think that's going to end up being a bigger, bigger question, uh, ultimately, at the polls. Uh, I think if the pandemic hadn't occurred, climate change probably would have played a much bigger role in the, in the election. I, I do think that, you know, we're going to see a different kind of um, priorities and hopefully we'll be prudent. It's not always easy, but thank you very, very much for your overview on the situation. And I... Um, I'm very much hopeful that we're going to look at things on balance um, that may not be possible because people are fighting for their lives. Um, yeah. These these books are are nonetheless important um, in terms of looking at how things are connected. Um, and I want to know, I guess, from you because we are talking about 
you also being among people who, you know, because of their digital age, have um, lost a position recently as a contributor to the Tampa Bay Times. What are your plans? How will you go about continuing to be a spokesperson? Um, I don't know. Uh, this is this is uncharted territory for me. I, I haven't been unemployed since I got out of college in 1981. Um, so, uh, but people have been very kind and very supportive. Uh, I've had lots of uh, people contacting me saying they're sorry about what happened and they hope I land on my feet, which is nice. Uh, and um, I'm, right now I'm uh, working on a freelance story for a, for a Florida magazine, Flamingo Magazine. I'm writing about uh, female python hunters. Um, oh. and, um, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm applying for jobs and we'll see what happens. I'm hoping that I can find something that will allow me to stay in Florida because that's the subject dearest to my heart and the one that I know the best. So stay tuned. And there's, yes. Well, we are wishing you enormous success in your pursuit. I own, I also share the, the sorrow to see you go because of course your columns are a mainstay in our household. I do, I do think, though, at one point I saw a Facebook post that you had done before um, this recent, you know, layoffs, a series of layoffs at the Tampa Bay Times. And, um, you know, there is so much material here. It looked as though you might be entertaining the idea of a documentary or some other digital platform, and which I hope you are successful with. But is that, is well, that actually I, I was, happening? Was that, was that my imagination? Yeah, or? I was. Well, it wasn't. It's not my documentary. I was interviewed for someone else's documentary. A guy who's making a documentary about Florida has interviewed. Uh, I think he interviewed Carl Hyacin, and he interviewed the woman who accidentally burned down the world's oldest cypress tree, the senator, uh, and uh, a variety of other interesting people to kind of piece together this mosaic depicting what Florida's like in the 21st century. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of what you talk about in your books is going to be central to, you know, what goes on going forward. Because, you know, you we have these, we, we're still, first of all, we're still in need of entertainment and you are a prime sure. <laughs> um, storyteller. Um, and I very much look forward to some sort of um, revival or reincarnation of Craig Pittman, um, and you certainly are in the right place for it. Florida specializes in reincarnation, and I think, um, you know, if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be here. I want the audience to know where they can reach you. On Instagram, it's Craig Pittman, C-R-A-I-G-P-I-T-T-M-A-N 78. Um, on your website, it's www.craigpittman.com. You also have a Twitter feed. And you have these two beautiful books, Cattail and O Florida. I hope that people will tune in. I hope people will communicate with you and that you'll find a platform, Craig, to continue with your very thoughtful and, I think, rational approach. Um, We're wishing you very good luck. With 30 seconds left, you know, we're in this together. Um, we're going to fight this thing, and any last thought? We've got 30 seconds. Um, well, um, Florida's closed down everything you think of when you think of spring in Florida. We've closed Disney World. We've closed the beaches. We've closed spring training. Uh, I think while we're all sitting at home washing our hands a lot, we should be thinking about what's important about Florida and what is it we want to make sure we save once Thank we're able you. to get out and about again. Great. Thank you very much, Craig Pittman. A great conversation. We'll hear next week on Dropping In. 
Thanks very much, all of you, and be safe. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 